Amen. Um, why don't you turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, as I was praying to this evening before the service, uh, it seemed that the Lord put it on my heart to share with you something that happened to me a couple of months ago. Um, I'm not sure exactly where we want to go or, or uh, so forth, but uh, at least uh, as a beginning point. Um, I'm, my schedule is such that I don't go into the office very often. I usually go in about one day a week, and, and I found that it's, uh, it's good for me spiritually. It's good for me physically. I'm able to spend a lot more time with the Lord. seems like when I'm in the office, even if I've got my door shut, um, business just creeps in. And a lot of times it's stuff that other people can handle themselves, and when I'm not there, they seem to handle it just fine. So, um, uh, so I changed my schedule about a year ago to where I don't go into the office as much, and it's just I've, I've just loved it anyway um there was uh, one day that uh, not my normal day to go into the office that um uh that i seemed to be impressed to go to the office and i didn't know exactly why i didn't have anything on on the schedule or on my plate that i knew i needed to take care of but anyway i just felt in my heart that i was supposed to go so i did and went to the office and got there and uh got there you know nine o'clock in the morning whatever it was and so i sat there and i thought okay well Lord, I'm here because I feel like I'm supposed to be here. What do I do? There was nothing uh, on the desk that needed my attention or, you know, very little anyway, stuff that I took care of in just a couple of minutes. And uh, so I thought, well, okay, maybe I'm here for a reason. Maybe there's something that, uh, that's going to come up today that I need to be here for. So I sat there and I, I read and I, I did some other things that I could have done anywhere, rather done anywhere, to be honest with you, and um, uh, rather done somewhere else, I mean. And uh, so lunchtime comes around. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know why I'm here. Lord, I don't know why I'm here. I, I feel like I'm supposed to come. I feel like you wanted me to come, but I don't know why I'm here. So one of the things that I really don't enjoy doing is going to crowded places for lunch. I like to let everybody else have their lunch, and then I'll go and have the place kind of to myself, and uh, I can read that way and that, that kind of stuff. So I waited till the lunch hour was gone or toward the end of the lunch hour and, and um, thought, well, okay, I'll go get some lunch. Seems like a normal day. I'm thinking... I'm really wasting a day here, and I don't know why. But uh, somehow or another, I just decided, well, I'm going to go have lunch, and then we'll see what happens this afternoon. And so I went to start going to lunch, and I thought, well, I hadn't been to this place in a while. I'll go here. I like it when after it clears out, the lunch crowd clears out. And uh, somehow or another, I just knew, no, don't go there. Go somewhere else. So I thought, somewhere else meaning somewhere specifically. And I thought, well, I don't even like their food that much. I don't want to go there. And so I thought this thing out. You know, people come up with these, uh, these ideas, and one of the main questions people have when it comes to being led by the Spirit is, how do I know it's me, whether it's me or if it's God? Well, I identified where I wanted to eat. I wanted to eat at the other place. Yet I felt like I was supposed to go to the second place, which I didn't want to go to. So I realized right away, okay, this is the leading of the Lord because I don't want to go there. If it's up to me, I'm going to go to the place that I prefer. This is obviously something that God's got in mind. So I thought, all right. And, and all the time the devil's telling me during the morning, well, here you are trying to be so super spiritual, being led by the Lord and everything. You came to the office and for nothing. Then I started going to lunch and I'm, I'm driving on the way after I decided to go to the, the place where I felt like I was being led to go. And, and the devil's saying, this is so stupid. Who do you think you are? And I started picking up on that. I thought, well, yeah, I'm, I'm not usually accustomed to God picking my lunch places. You know, I mean, God doesn't talk to me about lunch. So there's all these thoughts running around in my head, but I'm thinking, well, okay, I'm, uh, all I can do is the best I know to do to follow the Lord. And it seems like there's something that's directing me there. So I got there, had my lunch. And uh, one thing that was kind of strange 
but I just chalked it up to being at the end of the lunch hour. They sat me at a table for six. I'm by myself. And they sat me at a table for six. And I'm thinking, well, I've got plenty of room to stretch out here. Okay, this is, this is fine. I'm not complaining. You know, I can't stand it when they sit you at these little bistro table things where you can't, don't have room to spread out. But I've got my iPad, which I was doing my reading on and that kind of thing. So I'm sitting here at this table for six. Now, I noticed that there was, uh, there was a couple other tables in the, in the place. Like I said, most of the lunch crowd was gone. But there was this one table where there was four guys over there. And I noticed when I walked in, they perked up. They looked and they started talking to each other and that kind of stuff. And every now and then they'd look back. And, uh, and I noticed that while I was eating lunch, every now and then they'd look over and stuff. Well, you know, I get that kind of stuff from time to time. I'm one of those people that people say that they've seen me somewhere or they don't know. And ever since we went on TV, then a lot of times that happens anyway. So I didn't, I didn't think too much about it. Didn't, no big deal to me. If, uh, if somebody wants to talk, I'll talk. If they don't, I'm fine being by myself. And so, uh, so I didn't really give it too much thought. But as, uh, as these guys were leaving, they got up. I've got, uh, I, I finished my lunch and, uh, the, uh, uh, the waitress hasn't cleared away the table yet. And I've got my iPad open and I'm reading. And uh, these four guys come and stop at my table. They kind of surrounded me, kind of circled me. And one of these guys said, spoke up. And you could tell he was the leader. I mean, you can pick him out in a group. <laughs> anyway, you can tell this guy was the leader. And he said, you'll have to answer to God for the lies that you preach. And my first thought was, Lord, you brought me from home for this. <laughs> and I, I smiled at him. And I said, well, I'm going to have to answer to God for everything that I preach. That's why I make sure to preach the truth. And he said, well, I happened to catch you on TV the other day. And I said, well, thanks for watching. He said, uh, he said, I saw you telling everybody that it was preaching on TV for everybody to hear that it was God's will to heal everybody. And I said, boy, I've got to plead guilty to that. That's exactly what I believe to be true. And he said, how is it that you get off telling people lies like that? And I said, well, how can it be a lie when it's what the Bible says? I believe the Bible is the word of God. And he said, well, I know the Bible is the word of God, but it doesn't say that. Where in the world do you get off saying that? Now, his other, his other friends, they're nudging each other. And you got one guy talking, you got everybody else backing him up. So they're, they're into this. They're all grinning, you know, he's the ringleader he's the spokesman and so they they just know they've got me and i said well what about isaiah 53 4 and 5 he said what about it well i had my ipad right there it was open i was reading some things in the bible so i just turned it to to uh, the opening and i said well the bible says surely surely absolutely certainly surely he has borne our sicknesses and carried our pains yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of god and afflicted now he didn't argue about sicknesses and pains he must have known enough about the, the original Hebrew to know that those are the, 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 the true meaning, the true renderings of the words themselves rather than griefs and sorrows as the translators did. He didn't argue that. And I said, verse 5 says, but he was wounded, talking about Jesus, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He said, yeah, but you can't take that out of context. I said, friend, the context of that is the Messianic chapter. Everything in that chapter is about what Jesus said. The Bible says that what Jesus did for us on the cross. And I said, I could read more verses in there that talk about him healing the sick if you want me to. I said, the Bible is real clear that the same people 
that Jesus died for their sins were the people that he died for their sicknesses. I said, I believe that's everybody. Since the Bible says Jesus died for the sins of the world, I believe it's everybody that healing belongs to too. And he started in. He started telling me, well, I know this and this person and they, they asked God to heal them and it didn't happen and yada, 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 and, and they're all standing up. And I said, listen, I said, you and I could match story for story for the rest of the afternoon and probably the rest of the week if we wanted to about things that happened from your perspective, things that happened from my perspective. I said, I'm more than happy to discuss any Bible subject you want, but there'll have to be a couple of stipulations. I said, number one, we're going to have to accept the Bible as the answer. I said, number two, I'm not going to let you get on rabbit trails. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, if you want to discuss a Bible subject, we'll stay with it till we're both satisfied that it's done. But we're not going to jump from one thing to the other. I said, do you, is there something you want to discuss or are you just taking a parting shot on your way out? And one of the other guys spoke up and says, do you know who you're talking to? I thought, oh, my God. Who is this? It's the Pope. He said, we're members, uh, we're staff members at such and such church called the name of the church. He said, this is the teaching pastor that you're talking to. I said, well, might as well start at the top. I said, is this something you guys really want to discuss or are you just wanting to take a shot? So they looked at each other and they said, no, let's sit down. Let's talk. So we sat there for the next two hours. And I said, um, I said, all right. What, does, what subject do you want to discuss? I assume it's healing since that's what you talked about and said to me first. Is that true? He says, yeah, we want to talk about healing. I said, all right. What do you have to say about it? What is it you want to know? And he started in again. He said, well, this person, certain, certain person in our church who loved God, saved for 50 years, whatever the case was. I don't remember all the details. I stopped and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I said, you're breaking num- rule number one. I said, I could match you story for story and it wouldn't do any good because you wouldn't believe my stories and I don't know the details of your stories. I don't even know if you're giving me the right information on your story, even if you intended to. I said, let's take the Bible as the answer. Stick with what the Bible says. And he says, all right, well, then you start. And I said, okay. I said, we just read Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. that says, Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. I said, let me ask you a question. Give me an example anywhere in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, where somebody prayed and asked God to heal them and God said no. I'm going to have to get on my phone crickets chirping as a sound effect because it was silence. And he said, well, I don't know if that's a fair question or not. I said, what's unfair about it? I said, the only way we're going to know God for sure is through the Bible. The only way you're going to know or I'm going to know or anybody else is going to know what God does or doesn't do is from what the Bible says about God. I said, show me any example, any example where God refused to heal someone that came to him for healing. Show me one. Well, they're thinking a couple of them are huddled up together on the other side of the table. and They're talking. Finally, this guy says, well, I don't know. I'm not sure about that one. I said, you know the reason why you're not sure? I said, because there is no example in the scripture where God ever said, no, I will not heal you. I said, 
If we take the Bible as our example, therefore, we have to conclude that it's always the will of God to heal. Always. I said, because I'm sure you could tell me a lot of stories about where people prayed and God told them, they'll tell you that God said, no, I'm not going to heal you. No, this sickness is for your good. No, I'm teaching you something. You can come up with all kinds of stories that people will say, but the Bible never confirms their story. The only example we have from Scripture is that everybody that ever came to God to be healed, God healed them. Well, I knew what was coming, and it was just a matter of time till they discovered it and hit on it. Finally, the, the spokesman spoke up and said, well, what about Paul? I said, you want to talk about Paul? I assume you want to talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. He said, yeah, yeah. I don't know if I helped him out there or not, but whatever it was. He said, yeah, how about Paul? Paul prayed for God to heal him three times and God said no. I said, well, okay, let's look at it. Let's don't take your idea or my idea on the story. Let's look at it. I turned with, him over, turned with them over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12, and I said, beginning in verse 1, let's get the context. Paul said... <clears throat> It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. I stopped there and I said... Most Bible scholars agree that Paul's talking about himself. Do you concur? He said, yeah, he's talking about himself. I said, good, we're on the same page. Verse 6, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, but I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or that which he heareth me of me. In other words, Paul is saying, I didn't say this to them, but I want you to understand. Paul is saying there's a lot of things that I could tell you, but it would seem to you like I'm trying to brag on myself. So I'm not going to do that. Now, what does that mean? That means Paul's experience with walking with God, maybe even the experience that he had being caught up into heaven, caused him to know things that if he told you, you'd think, wow, he really thinks he's something. That says to me, I wish he had said, look, I don't care what you think about this. Here's what I want you to know. That's what I wish. But Paul felt that the way that he was perceived needed to be from people's experience with him and not things that he heard from heaven. Which tells me Paul knew a whole lot more about spiritual things than he shared. At least from this verse. Verse 7. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. Now notice the abundance of revelations is, backed up, is tied to verse 6. Where he says, I could tell you a lot of things, but you think I was bragging. Now how did he know all the things that he could have said? He didn't. But how did he know all the things that he could have said? Because of the abundance of revelations. He had what he identifies as an abundance of revelations. Now, how much is an abundance? Is he talking about, I've seen the Lord so many times? Or is he saying, the times that I have seen the Lord, I've heard and seen and, and, and witnessed, experienced so many things, that he considers that to be an abundance? There's a couple of different ways you could read this. I'm not sure which way is which. But the bottom line, I guess, is the same. And that is, he knew a ton more than what the Lord allowed him to share with us. 
Now, that says to me that God's a whole lot deeper than even the things that we know of that were revealed in the Scripture. You can't fathom the depths of God. That gives me an inspiration. That inspires me to go as far as I can in the Lord. That inspires me to know that it's not just a matter of learning the truth of the Scripture. It's not just a matter of learning what Paul identifies to us about who we are in Christ. But once you get that, a good handle on that, there's a lot further in the things of God that you can go yet. Now, folks, I would submit to you that God didn't show Paul these things for the purpose of him revealing them to you. If God showed him, if he had this abundance of revelations for the purpose of revealing to you and me what these revelations were, then he failed miserably. Because he just said, I'm not going to do it because you'd think I was bragging. You'd think I was trying to puff myself up. Make something of myself that you have not witnessed or seen or heard in me before. So therefore, if God showed him these things, not for the purpose of him revealing them to us, and God is no respecter of persons, why wouldn't he show us too? What's to keep you and I from having the abundance of revelations that he had? Near as I can tell, only you and I. Are you with me? So he said, unless I be exalted through the abundance of revelations. So first and foremost, he talks about reason. He said, the reason for the things that I'm about to share with you is because of the abundance of revelations I had. And so that I be not lifted up because of these things, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, That it, you need to underline or circle the word it in your Bible and make a note here. That it might depart from me. And he, Jesus, said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak... Then am I strong. I said, let me ask you a question. I said, do you know and remember what Paul talked about his own training in the Hebrew? One of them spoke up and said, yeah. Paul was trained like the rabbis. I said, that's exactly right. I said, do you know what that means? He said, well, I don't know what you're asking. I said, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis had to memorize the scripture, Moses and the prophets. The law and the prophets. They had to memorize the scripture. I said, I'm not talking about reading. I'm not talking about study. They had to memorize the scripture. So what you and I have as the first half of the Bible, literally more than half, but the first covenant, the old covenant, they had to memorize. They had to be able at any given time with any kind of chapter and verse that was presented to them, be able to quote from memory. I said, there are three times in the Old Testament where the phrase thorn is used in some context. And I want to show those to you. You want to look with me? You want me to show you too? Numbers chapter 33. Numbers chapter 33.
And in verse... It's at the end of the chapter, I think. In verse... Uh, blah, 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 blah. Let's start in verse 54. Numbers chapter 33, verse 54. And you shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families. And to the more, you shall give the more inheritance. And to the fewer, you shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. Now, he's talking about taking the promised land. Here's the Lord speaking through Moses, talking about the, um, uh, the promised land and how it's supposed to be divided among the children of Israel. The, the, well, we say the 12 tribes of Israel, but uh, the tribe of Levi didn't get an inheritance, so it's really divided between the 11 tribes. So he says in verse 55, talking about possessing the land, he said, but if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land. Now, stop and think about what does inhabitants mean. He says, if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land, what is he talking about? He's talking about people there, aren't he? Doesn't he? Isn't he? Isn't he talking about the people that are possessing the land before they get there? But if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall come to pass that those individuals, those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes and thorns in your sides and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwell. I asked him a question. I said, would Paul know that verse of Scripture? Would Paul, who identifies the messenger of Satan as the thorn in the flesh? I said, would he know that? They said, well, yeah, sure he'd know that. I said, all right, the second time that it's used is over in um, Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23. Let's start reading in verse 11. Here's Joshua instructing the children of Israel concerning the promised land. He said, take uh, Joshua 23, beginning in verse 11. Take good heed, therefore, unto yourselves that you love the Lord your God. Else, if you do in any wise, go back and cleave unto the remnants of these nations, even those that remain among you, and shall make marriages with them, and go in unto them, and they to you. Know for a certainty. Here's what will happen if you intermarry with the, the tribes that you're driving out. Know for a certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you. But they, individuals, they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. I said, would Paul know about that scripture? They said, well, yeah, sure. Of course he would know about that scripture. I said, notice two out of two times. And it's only used three times. Two out of the first two times that we've looked at, thorns in the sides, thorns in your eyes, some uh, indication of thorns in the flesh of the individuals certainly does not mean literally the Amalekites or the Canaanites sticking out of their eye sockets. It's used in a figurative manner to talk about people. Not sickness or disease, but people. Let me show you the last words of David. Second Samuel uh, chapter 23 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 6. Notice David is speaking 
uh, well, back up to verse 1. Now, these be the last words of David. That's how we know they're the last words of David. The Bible says so. Verse 6. Here's what David is warning his people. He said, but the sons of Belial shall be all of them. Belial means the Gentiles. Belial means those that are outside the covenant with God. But those... But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away because they cannot be taken with hands. Second Samuel 23 verse 6. Three times the Bible uses the, 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 uh, uh, the phrase thorns in some manner or another. Now the first two we looked at is more specifically attached to and relevant to Paul's thorn in the flesh. Because it talks about either thorns in the sides or thorns in the eyes. Here David just says The Gentiles, those that are apart and separated from the covenant with God outside the nation of Israel, shall be like thorns. But in each case, all three times that the phrase thorns is used, where it's not literally talking about a thorn that goes up into somebody's hand because you stick yourself, it talks about people. Would Paul know that? He would have to. If he had the training he said that he had, he would have to. Why then did Paul use the phrase, back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, why did Paul use the phrase that he knew that anybody that had knowledge of the Old Testament would recognize? Why did he use the phrase talking about people? Verse 7 again, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. I said, Now you tell me what you think the thorn in the flesh is. He said, Well, some sickness, probably eye disease. I said, that's that's what I expected you to say. I said, however, the phrase that Paul uses is never uh, referenced to, is never referring to sickness in any form whatsoever. It always refers to people. Now, isn't it also interesting that Paul says that the thorn in the flesh that was given to him was a messenger of Satan? I said, do you know anything about the Greek? He said, oh, yes, I took Greek in Bible college. Or seminary, I guess he said. I said, then you know the word messenger is translated 188 times throughout the New Testament, 181 times as angels, seven times as messenger, and every time it's talking about an individual, not a thing. His eyes got big and he said, well, how do I know that? And I said, well, you've got your iPad there. Why don't you look up the concordance and see what it says? He punched a couple of things in there and saw that this word came up 188 times. I said, now look down through the list and show me any time, any case whatsoever that the word messenger does not refer to a personality, but instead refers to a sickness or a disease. I'll wait for you. They huddled up. They're working on their smartphones. They're working on their tablets. They're looking at each other. They're looking back at me because I haven't made my point yet. I'm just asking questions. They want to know where we're going next. I said, notice that Paul said that it was a personality of Satan. A personality of Satan. A personality of Satan. The messenger, the angel. I don't care which way you want to translate it. Either way is appropriate. Either way is right. He's talking about somebody that has come from the devil himself to stir up trouble because of the revelations he received. I said, look back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 with me. Paul talks about some of the things that he endured. Let's start in verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. In labors more abundant. Keep that phrase in mind, in labors more abundant. 
in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save or except one, minus one. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned thrice. Once I was stoned, I'm sorry. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without or outside the body, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches." I said, is sickness anywhere listed in that, in that list that Paul said he endured? Is there anything that can be identified as sickness in that list? And I said, but while you're considering that, look on the other side. Who but the devil or somebody that the devil is operating through, an agent of Satan, could stir up all that trouble against Paul? They looked at each other and they said, well, then who are you saying is the thorn in the flesh. I said, well, I'm not through yet. I'll let you know, but I'm not through yet. Paul said again, because of the abundance of revelations, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given unto me of the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. I said, look at the word buffet. I said, do you know what the bu- word buffet means? He didn't answer. I said, okay, I'll tell you. The word buffet means to deliver blow after blow after blow. I said, if Paul is talking about, which, which we've already got good evidence that he's not, but if Paul was talking about sickness, he has to mean, therefore, that God gave him sickness after sickness after sickness after sickness after sickness. Or he gave him the same sickness over and over and over and over again. Because that's the only way that it could deliver blow after blow. Sickness doesn't do that. I said, now, if either one of those were the case, if Paul had sickness after sickness after sickness or the same sickness over and over and over again, in other words, he'd have the sickness, get well, have the sickness again, get well, have the sickness again, get well, why did he leave it out of the list? Paul knows these people know him. He knows they know his situation. They may not know everything that he's experienced and everything that he's endured, but they know enough about him to know that that would be the case, wouldn't they? There was given unto me, through the, because, lest I be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations, there was given unto me the thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan. Notice it didn't come from God. It was from the devil. Here's a personality, a spiritual personality that's operating against Paul to buffet him, to deliver blow after blow, lest he should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that it, you remember I told you to underline or circle the word it in verse 7? Rotherham's translation says, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice that he might depart from me. Weymouth's translation says, For this cause I besought the Lord three times that he would cause him to depart from me. I said, You've got two respected translations that both identify this thorn in the flesh as a personality and not a thing. I said, I don't even have a problem with the Bible calling the messenger of Satan it. I think that's a real cool, disrespectful way to approach it. But I said we've got Bible evidence. It's something other than that. And then he spoke up and said, well, why did Jesus say my grace is sufficient for you? I said, do you know what the word grace is about? I said, the word grace... 
literally is talking about an inward something, an inward influence that's reflected in your life. Grace means an inward influence reflected in your life. I said never, ever, ever is the word grace used for a physical remedy. Never. The Bible talks about we're saved by grace. Is that something that happens outside or inside? Inside. There would never be a point in time where Jesus would ever say, my grace is sufficient for you when he's talking about healing the sick. Can you ever give me any example where Jesus spoke about grace when it came to somebody, when he was dealing with somebody or ministering to somebody when they came to receive their healing? He said, well, I'm not sure. I said, well, spend your time and look it up. You'll find out that there was never a case. I said, grace is always something inside. Now, Jesus is not saying, I won't heal you, Paul, because sickness is not the issue. Jesus is saying, my spiritual something is sufficient for you. Now, what spiritual something did he give him? Notice what Jesus went on to say. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What does Jesus identify the grace to be? Spiritual strength. Spiritual strength. Spiritual strength. Now, folks, I didn't, I didn't get into this. I, I figured this would be way over their head. But you need to understand something. There are some things that Jesus redeemed you from and some things he did not redeem you from. Jesus, for example, redeemed us from the curse of the law. That means he redeemed us from spiritual death and the characteristics of spiritual death. He redeemed you from sickness and he redeemed you from poverty. He did not, however, redeem you from persecution. Paul says, they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. But what did Jesus say would happen when they persecuted you? He said, but be of good cheer. I'll see you through. I've overcome the world. So what did Jesus promise to us when we are persecuted? Deliverance, strength, victory. So what is Jesus saying? When Paul is saying, that this messenger of Satan, this personality of Satan has come against him to deliver blow after blow. Now, what blow after blow is it? Well, he's back to chapter 11. The blow was stripes above measure, prisons more frequent, deaths oft, 40 stripes or 39 stripes. Three times it was being beaten with rods. Once it was stoned. Three times he suffered shipwreck. A night and a day he's been in the deep. I guess that means out in the water with no hope of land. In journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Folks, there's nobody but the devil that could stir up trouble in all those areas. Nobody. He's not even talking about people coming against him. He's talking about the work of the devil. Certainly he's using people to cause some of these things to happen. But he says that Jesus, after he asked him three times, that he, this messenger of Satan, would depart. Lord, cause these persecutions to stop. Cause this demonic assignment against me to stop, stirring up persecution against me and trouble against me. Jesus said... My grace is sufficient for you. My spiritual strength, my strength that's in your, imparted to your spirit will see you through. Can I ask you a question? How is Paul still alive? Because the strength of God has seen him through. Why didn't Paul die when he was beaten? Why didn't he die when he was stoned? They left him for dead. The people that did the stoning thought he was dead. What kept him from dying? The strength of God. 
What kept him from being overtaken in these perils of robbers and false brethren and so forth? What kept him from drowning when the night and the day in, out in the ocean? What kept him from that? Spiritual strength. God's preser- preserving power. That's what Jesus is answering. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. What does he mean by grace? Grace could be a number of things. What does he mean? Jesus identifies that grace as spiritual strength. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. So what does Paul conclude? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Please notice the end of verse 9. The end of verse 9 is Paul saying, I found my answer. He said, I found the key. Instead of trying to get rid of these persecutions, instead of trying to get rid of the work of the devil against me, now I glory in them because that's when the power of Christ dwells or rests upon me. He's saying that he got the answer. Jesus isn't saying no to anything. He's saying, Paul, you're asking for the wrong thing. I didn't redeem you from persecution. As long as you're my agent and operating in my power, you're going to be persecuted. The devil is stirring up trouble to keep the gospel from going forward. But don't worry, my strength will see you through. So Paul says, I found the secret. I found the way to have the power of Christ upon me. Not to get rid of the persecutions, but to look for God's deliverance in the middle of them. Therefore, I take pleasure in sickness. No, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Why in the world, if Paul is talking about sickness, if he's saying that Jesus told him no because I have a greater plan for you to be sick, why doesn't he say I take pleasure in sicknesses? Why didn't he say I take pleasure in eye disease? Why did he not conclude by saying, I've found that submitting to the will of God is the best thing in the world to do, so I take pleasure in this sickness that beats me again and again and again and again and again. Because it's not about sickness. What does he say? He says, I take pleasure in infirmities. This word infirmities is the word weakness. Same word over in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, where it says, likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. Not talking about sickness. Now, in Romans 8, 26, the infirmities that he's talking about, he identifies, specifies. He says, for we know not what to pray for as we ought. Here, it could be any number of infirmities that go back to the list in chapter 11. He says, I take pleasure in my infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. Well, reproaches is an aspect or a part of persecution, isn't it? When people reproach you, isn't that that them coming out against you? Sure. Sure. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities. That means when I don't have enough. He's talking about physical and financial lack. Much of that, in Paul's case, was because of the persecution. In persecutions, he identifies it specifically in persecutions. Why would he talk about persecutions in verse 10 if he wasn't talking about persecutions and the result thereof in the previous verses? When he asked the Lord to take these things from me. He's saying, I've learned the secret. I take glory in when I'm persecuted that the power of Christ would dwell upon me. Folks, the Bible's real clear. The problem is we've had religious help to misunderstand what's being said for hundreds of years. Therefore, I take pleasure 
in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Every one of those would be an aspect or a part of persecution because it's for Christ's sake. In other words, he's saying all these things that I'm taking glory in are the things that are coming on me because I am a, a minister of the gospel because I preach Jesus and him crucified. If it wasn't for that, none of these things would happen to me. That's what I'm taking glory in. I'm taking glory in the things that come against me and the things that the devil stirs up against me because I put Jesus first in my life and because I preach him all over the world. See, for Christ's sake means something. He's saying, all I've got to do, and please, folks, can you imagine? Put yourself in Paul's position. Can you imagine the way the devil just tried to tempt him and tried to, tried to tell him, if you'll just turn loose of this preaching stuff and go back to tent making? Look at how easy your life would be. I don't know many people that would stick it out like Paul did. I think Jesus knew what he was doing when he picked this guy. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Please notice the last phrase of verse 10 is that Paul identifying, I found how to get the power of Christ upon me that I was looking for. Not the way that I was looking for it. I was looking for God to cause me never to have persecution issues ever again. But instead, I found out that the spiritual strength that I have because of the Holy Ghost, the greater one living on the inside of me, sees me through and delivers me no matter what happens. So now I'm not going to look for things not to happen anymore. I'm going to recognize when they do happen, that's the signal for me to give glory to God so that the power of God can see me through. Well, by this time, these guys' mouths are hanging open. I said, okay, your turn. He said, well, that just goes against everything I've ever heard. I said, of course it does. But I said, what part of what I've told you can't be proven by the Scripture? What part of this did I tell you my idea instead of telling you and showing you what the Bible says? He said, well, I just can't accept that. He said, I've been taught all my life from Bible school, seminary on. He said, I've been taught all my life that Paul had some eye disease that God gave him to teach him about suffering. I said, okay. Then I said, What's your, where's your eye disease? He said, what do you mean? I said, look back with me to verse 11, or I'm sorry, chapter 11, where we started in verse 23. Paul said about himself, maybe I ought to back up to verse 22. Paul said, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Which tells us that most of the persecution that he endured came from the Jews. That's the reason why he identifies or compares himself to the others. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Well, he, had certain, he certainly had more evidence of being a minister of Christ than the others did. Notice why he says this. In labors more abundant. First thing he mentions. In labors more abundant. I said, let me ask you this. How many sick preachers do you know? He said, well, quite a few. And I said, do they labor more abundantly than the ones that are well? I said, if Paul was the sickest of men, as you guys in your group teaches, if Paul was the sickest of men and that enabled him to labor more abundantly, why don't the rest of you pray to get sick too? So that you can increase in your endeavors for the work of God. He said, well, that's silly. I said, no, what's silly is the teaching you've been taught. Paul's saying, 
that he labors more abundantly than any of the others. And you say that it was because he was sick? That doesn't seem to make sense to me. One of the guys spoke up. The guy, one of the, he was quiet. He, this guy had never said anything all the way along. He said, I'm seeing what he's saying, fellas. The other guy spoke up and said, well, we're going to have to go. We've been here on, at lunch too long. And I smiled. I said, well, I'm not surprised. I said, but I want to leave you with this. What part of what I've said has been anything other than just reading you what the Bible says? What part of any of this has been my idea or my teaching or my twisting something around? You've got the same Bible concordance thing there on your iPad that I've got on mine. The things that I've told you, you've been able to confirm. What have I added to the scriptures in any way? He said, well, I have to study on it. Two weeks later, two of the guys came to healing school. Haven't seen them since. I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me what day to go to lunch. (laughs) I don't know what's going to happen of it. To be honest with you, I don't expect anything to happen. What are these guys going to do? Buck the whole group? Give up their jobs because they see something in the word? I don't expect anything to happen. Folks, let me tell you something. Religion has sold the Christians, sold the Christian population, a bill of goods. And no matter how sincere the people were, and as a matter of fact, these guys told us about how, told me to begin with, about how they were followers of a certain guy, certain minister, who has made the, the major, at least lately, has made the major focus of his ministry Speaking against um, the work of the Holy Ghost. He's written books. He's done real research. I mean, this guy's got a lot of letters behind his name. Got a lot of education and so forth. And he's put a lot of effort into, into uh, well, the article that I read. I haven't read a lot of it. But the article that I read, he made the statement to say that the charismatic part of the church has done more damage to Christianity than anything else in the last 200 years. This is a guy with thousands of followers. And I thought to myself. When I read that I thought to myself. Dear Lord. Here you're, you're in a position where you're saying that the power of God. That others preach is not only wrong. But has done damage to the church. Folks let me give you some, some information here. You look at the church worldwide. It may not be this way in America, but you look at the church worldwide. The only part of the church that is growing is the Pentecostal part of the church. The only one worldwide. The only one. Everything else is growing by leaps and bounds. Everything else meaning other religions. Islam is growing at a much greater rate than the the denominational part of the church. The only thing that outstrips Islam in the face of the earth at this present time, according to the statistics that I've seen from the groups that do these things, is the Pentecostals, those that preach Jesus crucified and preach the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 
And yet you've got American preachers saying that that's damaging to the body of Christ. I believe the day is coming. I really believe it's already here, to be honest with you. But I believe the day is coming where Jesus is going to show who he is. He's going to prove himself. Not because he has to, but so that the glory of God can rest upon the church, so that the great uh, harvest, the precious fruit of the earth can come in, so that he can receive them unto himself. That's what it's about. I'm not looking for God to, to justify me. I'm not looking for God to prove that my preaching was right or anybody else. I don't think anybody else should have that attitude either. But I am looking for Jesus to show what's true. I believe that before he comes back for the earth, for the church, comes back to the earth for the church to receive the church to himself, he will show that which is true and right. And folks, what's true and right is what the Bible says. It's not going to be about this preacher versus that preacher. It's not going to be about this TV minister versus that TV minister. It's going to be about the word. God's word is always true. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to know your character and your nature. I thank you, Father, that there's never been a time where anyone came to you in faith to receive their healing that you ever turned away. Any more than you've ever turned away anyone that came in faith to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. I thank you, Father, that your word always works. Thank you, Father, that we have like precious faith as Jesus our Lord. Thank you that we live, even as Paul said, that we live by the same faith of the Son of God that he did. We have the same spirit of faith as Jesus himself. Because that spirit of faith is based on the truth of the word. Thank you, Father. That Jesus is always there. That the Holy Ghost is always our strengthener and always our standby. Thank you that there is no situation that's too hard for you. Thank you, Father, that there's never a situation where you say no to your word or to your children that are acting and standing upon your word. Thank you, Father, that you withhold no good thing. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to talk you out of healing us or talk you into healing us. We don't have to talk you into doing something for us because you've already done it. Therefore, Satan, we recognize that you're the enemy. We command you to take your hands off of our bodies in the name of Jesus. Because we are the redeemed ones, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We are joint heirs with Christ. And we refuse to give you any place in our bodies and in any aspect of our lives. In Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Father, that healing is ours. If you can agree with that prayer, say amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being here.